0: I'm so glad that you have chosen to be a part of what God is doing here this morning um, as we continue our journey through this book called Acts, uh, which really is kind of this origin stories of the church. Like, and we kind of learn as why we are even here gathered in this place this morning. And the book of Acts is written in a narrative form. It's kind of a chronological form. So if you are new with us this morning or you've missed a few weeks, Um, I think it's really important to kind of set the table for where we are this morning. Otherwise, it's kind of like coming into the middle of a movie and having no clue as to what has happened. Uh, So what we have seen so far uh, in this amazing, incredible story of how the church started was, you know, Jesus had told his followers to wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit. They had no clue what this meant, and so they obeyed him. They gathered in this upper room the Holy Spirit comes on them, who is God himself, comes into their lives, and, and everything changes from that point forward. Uh, there's this amazing transformation of this group of followers of Jesus who before were afraid, um, and all of a sudden they're filled with this amazing boldness just to proclaim who Jesus is, and they're able to do some amazing things again because of the fact that the Holy Spirit is now in them. Um, and we see that the response that, that Peter, who was one of the ones who had denied Jesus, gets up and delivers this amazing message, and, and people respond. Uh, 3,000, it says, responded to this message and begin to follow Jesus. And then from that point forward, everything seems to be rosy. I mean, it's like, it's like ponies and, you know, just really, really cool things are happening. I mean, it's just like everything is going well. And then you get in the narrative where things kind of pivot a little bit. And this is the new series that we're in that that Dustin introduced last Sunday called Threats. Because we see these things begin to take place in the church. And we see this first opposition to this new group of Jesus followers happens. And it happens because, again, this figure named Peter... And, and his friend John were going into the temple, as they did every day, and they encounter a lame man. They heal the lame man by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because they healed this man, and because he's so loud about it, this crowd gathers. And Peter just shares the message of the gospel. Which basically, the message of the gospel, if you've never heard it, in a quick nutshell, is this. You know, we are all broken people. Like, we're all messed up. We're all sinners, And because of our sin, our relationship with God has been severed. And with no hope of that ever being restored by anything that we can do. And God, knowing this, sent his one and only son, who also is himself God, to die a horrible death on a cross. So he could take the penalty for our sin. He paid the price of our sin. And then three, then three days later, he raises again from the dead, which gives us hope because he's conquered death. We no longer have to fear death. And all we have to do, we can't be good enough for this. We can't, you know, earn this by doing a lot of good things. We certainly do not deserve it, but it's just because of God's grace for us. And all we have to do is accept it. We have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for us, and we just need to accept it. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And Peter's sharing this message to this crowd. And while he's sharing this message, the temple leaders send a group of guards to arrest Peter and John. Like I, I, I picture this happening, like they're mid sentence and, and they grab Peter and John. And the amazing thing about that is, you continue to read the narrative, is the fact that even in spite of Peter and John, who are up there speaking, getting arrested, 5,000 people say yes following jesus i mean that's pretty incredible in the midst of this opposition and then as dustin shared last week this was a story of you know peter and john these ordinary unschooled uneducated people who are standing in front of these very highly regarded religious leaders and they're threatening and warning these religious these uh peter and john never to speak again of this person named jesus so my question this morning my first question is, well, if, you were, if you were in this situation, what would you do? I mean, what, if you were put into Peter and John's situation, what were you doing? Let me, let me explain this a little bit, because I think it's easy just to kind of like give the Sunday school answer, would you come to this? I mean, understand who these religious people are. I mean, these religious leaders held influence. They, they weren't necessarily in charge, but they certainly had influence, because just a few months earlier, they were the ones who were able to influence the crowd and influence the political leader at that point, the Roman political leader, to have Jesus crucified. I mean, that's the same group of people. So they have incredible influence. Peter and John, like we said, they have really no influence, or very little influence. I mean, they're, they're a part of this brand new, like, fledgling group of people that, yeah, they love one another, they're sharing a lot of stuff, but they're, like, new to this. They have no political pull. They have no power. And what are they going to do? And, and things are going so well. I mean, lo- people are loving this. They're loving one another. People are joining this movement. I mean, there's healing that's taking place. Or they're sharing everything. There's nobody in this community that has need. I mean, there's things great. Like, for them to share this, what just happened to them, I mean, there's a risk with this. What if this disrupts all of the good things that are going on? And the question that I really want us to wrestle with, like on a personal level this morning, is this question. Where do you go or who do you turn to when things get tough? Where do you go or who do you turn to when things get tough? I mean, what is your first response to the difficulties and challenges of life? And maybe this isn't like direct opposition to your faith or your relationship with Jesus, but something unexpected happens in your life. I'm sure that you can relate to this. I mean, you hit a roadblock, you have a setback, you, you encounter conflict in a relationship, you're feeling overwhelmed, you get discouraged. I mean, how do you, how do you respond? And, and what I want to do this morning is really look at the example of what we see like this group of early Jesus followers, how do they respond to this opposition? How do they respond to the conflict? And see what we can learn from their response. And so we're going to be in our Acts journal this morning on page 24. It's Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 23 through 35. So if you'll just follow along. And like we said, every, every time we, we up, get up here and speak, you know, really the words of Scripture are the most important words. You know, what Dustin and I say are just really kind of filler. So pay attention to what this has to say. Starting with verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted up, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel. In other words, everybody. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And this morning, what I want to look at is really three lessons that I think that we could learn from these early followers when it comes to responding to the opposition in our lives, to the difficulties in our lives. And, and the first thing I think you see with these followers, when they, when they hit opposition, when they experience the opposition, the very first thing they did is they connect to community. They connect to community. I mean, like I said, Peter and John... You know, they had a lot of options on their plate at this point. They could have chosen to be silent about this experience. They could have just kind of buried it and hid it. But the first place they go is they go back to their friends. They go back to this group of people who share their faith. They believe that Jesus is who he says he was. They've given their life to him, and he's now Lord of their life. Why do they go back to them for the first, that, that, that's their first response? I think it's just because, simply because they need one another. It's really how God designed his church. We were designed to be in community with each other. The Apostle Paul wrote to a really, really messed up church. <laughs> Imagine that, a messed up church. In 1 uh, in Corinthians, this church, man, if you read the letter of 1 Corinthians, it, it almost makes you feel good about where you're at sometimes. <laughs> I mean, this group of people really, really struggled. And one of the things they struggled with was they were fighting over like the gifts that the Spirit had given them, like, "I want to be this, and I want to do this." And, and that's just one of the things. And so out of this like fight, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 25 through 27, he says this, that there be no division in the body." He refers to the church as a body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honors, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, what Paul is saying in this is we need each other. That's why, that's why Peter and John go back to this group of friends because we need each other. They had just experienced this opposition and they needed that group of people. And I believe that one of the reasons God's designed His church the way that He's designed His church is for this very reason, because we need one another. Jesus said this, In this life you will have trouble. Not you might, you will have trouble. And and my question with that is, who here this morning hasn't had any trouble or hardship in their life? so the question becomes, where do you go first when this hardship happens? Just confession, my tendency, the way I'm wired, I tend to isolate. Like I'm I'm an inside processor, which basically means when stuff happens, like when I encounter conflict or bad stuff happens in my life, I don't want to talk about it. Like the last thing I want to do is is have a hug fest with a bunch of people. Like, I just want to sit and I just want to process. I want to let it sink in. I've always been this way. But here's the problem that I've encountered with this. You can only stuff so much. And then it begins to come out. And for me, it came out as anger. Anger. And I think for many of us, our first move when hardship comes is this is exactly what we do. We tend to hide. And maybe you don't, like, you know, stuff it as much, but you hide. You probably hide. You don't want to necessarily talk about it. Now, there's some people that love to talk about it, but I think, generally speaking, most of us want to hide and isolate and stuff. And the problem with that is that's exactly what the enemy wants. But the enemy wants, when we face conflict, when we face hardship, is he wants to like isolate us. Like he wants us to depend on ourselves, right? Because that's really what sin does. It turns our desires to ourselves and we think that we're enough in and of ourselves. And when we allow this to happen, when we start to rely on ourselves, that's when like division happens. And that's when isolation happens. And that's when we start to become defeated. But, but it's also important who you turn to. Not just what you turn to, but who you turn to. I mean... Is it going to be somebody that that says to you exactly what you want to hear? Or is it going to be somebody who says something to you that you need to hear? I mean, somebody who will remind you of your need for God? Or is it going to be somebody who simply is going to feed you some sort of self-help advice? Or just assure you that, hey, you're just okay just be okay being okay. You know, honestly, you know, this is the basis for why we meet together regularly. Like, you know, it's not, it's not because of like a routine. It's not because of some sort of a ritual. It's why we need to gather together. It's why we encourage everyone to gather together on a Sunday. Because we need to hear. We need to be reminded of the message of the cross. I need this, not just every Sunday, I need this in my life every day to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me because it shapes everything for me. It shapes how I view myself, it shapes my relationships, it shapes everything. And heaven forbid we ever get to a point, at least in the, in the, in the context of, of this body of believers where the gospel isn't central to every gathering that we do on a Sunday morning, that the message of the gospel isn't central. Because we need to be reminded all the time of what Jesus has done for us because our tendency always is to take our eyes off of that. We need a small group of people that we can rely on because let's be honest, it's really hard to build relationships on a Sunday morning. It just is. And it's possible to have, you know, for our relationships to be an inch deep and a mile wide but, but we need to have those deeper, more intimate relationships, sp- specifically with people who share the same faith that we do, that we can lean on one another. And, and again, these relationships, they need to be built upon the gospel message. Because if they're built on just like getting together to encourage each other, just to say, hey, you'll do, you'll do better next time, or you know, don't worry about it, you know, we need relationships that kind of challenge each other into the, what the gospel message is, rem- reminding us of... That we've been bought with a price that we are owned by the king. Like, we are sons and daughters of the king. Like, we need those kinds of reminders and relationships in our lives, the conversations around what Jesus has done for us. And, and, and what this produces is, is, is this gratitude. Like, and out of the outflow of our gratitude is our desire to serve others. Like, we want to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom and serving others, whether that's a neighbor or whether that's an organization or or just somebody that you know has a need, or, or even even investing in what happens on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's, it's all because of what Jesus has done. It all flows out of, it's a response to the gospel. Please don't let it just become a ritual where you're just checking a box. And I know what the pandemic has done to so many. I understand the loss and the isolation and the fear that this has caused. And, and I want to speak this morning really to, to two groups of people um, this morning. And again, hear me in this. This is not a message of guilt or shame, but it's just two groups of people I want to give some encouragement to this morning. It's first of those who have really experienced loss in this. And loss doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost a person, although I acknowledge that there are people in this room and people watching online that you have lost people through this pandemic. But loss is a lot of other loss. You've lost jobs. You've lost, you know, just simply the way life used to be. And there's loss in all of those things. And my encouragement is don't isolate, don't try to do it alone. Seek somebody out. Seek, seek a group of people out. A group of people that will tell you not just what you want to hear, but people that will tell you what you need to hear. And there's a second group I want to talk about because I know this is true as well. I've had these conversations multiple times. I know that there are people that it's easy to slip into kind of a routine of just, you know, it's convenient. Like, the online stuff is convenient. I understand that, man. I would, I would absolutely, I mean, the allure of being able just to go into my living room and just watch something on TV is, that, that's exciting <laughs> in a lot of ways. But if you're just doing that because it's convenient, let me just encourage you to step back into the room. And this is why. It's not because we're trying to, like, boost our numbers in the room or anything like that. It's simply because we need one another. We need you. We need your giftedness. We need your voice. We need your encouragement. We need your presence. Because if it just become a matter of convenience, and I understand, you know, there's still virus going around. I understand there's seasons of being ill. There's seasons of traveling. All those things, it's not... Hey, we got to be here every Sunday. But I'm just saying, if it's just slipped into, like, this has just become habit or convenience. My encouragement is to re-engage because we need you. So I think the second thing that we see when we're faced with opposition is they go go to God. Like, just like, like that. Verses 24 through 30, it says this. And, and when they heard it, when, when they heard what Peter and John had to share, they, and not just like Peter and John, but this whole group of people that he shared with them, they lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples of the earth plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel, do what? to do whatever Your hand and Your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to Your servants to continue to speak Your Word with all boldness while You stretch Your hand out to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. You know, they didn't like sit and have a complaint fest. They didn't throw their hands up and say, you know what, we hit our first opposition, we give up. They weren't like paralyzed with fear, although that could have been a very good response for them. And they didn't sit together and put together a plan or a strategy. They didn't do like a SWOT analysis. They prayed. <laughs> they prayed immediately. Immediately. And they prayed in unison. They lifted their voices together. And and not just the fact that they did pray, but look at what they prayed. I mean, the very first thing, they, they acknowledge who God is. And they use the word sovereign Lord. And it's a word that we don't use a whole lot. It's the idea of somebody who's in complete control. They're not influenced by anybody else. And that's who God is. God is not limited. He's not controlled by anything else. He is sovereign he is in control and they acknowledge not only is God sovereign but God has this amazing perfect plan and and that's what they're praying there they're just saying hey you know God you you created everything you know you're not controlled by anything you're not surprised by anything and and you have this amazing perfect plan and and even what happened to Jesus like they, they suddenly realize all of this had happened to Jesus like David talked about this, like everyone's going to gather against Jesus. And yet God is going to continue to still work through that. And they saw what happened to Jesus. And in spite of all of that, they believe that God has this amazing perfect plan and they're a part of it. And knowing these two things, that God is in control and God has a perfect plan, they prayed for God to work through them regardless of what the threat was. Whatever opposition or barrier they faced, how do you pray? First of all, do you pray? Secondly, how do you pray when you're faced with hardship or opposition? Like, what what is it you pray? Uh, Again, I'm just being transparent with how I pray. Most of the time, my prayer is, God, would you just take that barrier away from me? Like, I want, the, I want the barrier to be gone. Like, I don't want, like, the boldness to face it. I just want it to be gone. Like, whatever that opposition is, just, Lord, remove it from me. You know, take it away. In this case, what I would have been praying was, God, just depose all of these religious leaders. Like, you just, you just clean house, God, and put in, like, friendly leaders for us. Make it easy for us, God. Like, that's our tendency, right? Just, God, make it easier for us. But they asked for boldness. To continue to do what they've been called to do. And, and, and maybe this morning you and I need to rethink what how we look at like hardships and difficulties and challenges in our lives. You know, Jesus' brother James, he wrote this. Like, when I read this as a like a young believer, I'm like, what on earth is he saying here? James chapter 1, verses 2 for 4, he says this: He says, Count it, count it all joy. What? Okay, count what all joy? My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, well, that's like anti-everything like culture, right? The last thing that we want to be is joyful in our trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see what James is saying here, I believe, is James is saying, you know, God uses sufferings and trials and hardships to refine us. He doesn't cause them, but He uses them. And this idea of steadfastness, it's not a word that we use. I don't like go around writing in my texts, hey, let's just be steadfast. It means to be fixed in place, it means to be immovable not swayed by our circumstances. And the reason for that steadfastness is because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And we need to remember that He is good and that He is in control even in our darkest moments. And the last thing that we see here is that God responds. Like God responds to this prayer for boldness like in a big way. And when they had finished praying, the the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Like that's an answer to prayer. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was among them all. Don't miss the message. Like in the center of all of this is the gospel. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as many had need. Don't miss this. Like in the context of this whole story. I mean, this is a new, young, fragile community of believers and and just like like today even was true then like something new and exciting when there's a movement with it like people are really eager and excited to jump on something that's new but usually when opposition hits the very first thing they do is they're very they're very quick to jump off it, and yet with this group of like brand new followers to Jesus what do we see them they like They get stronger. They like get stronger. Why? Because God responds. He shows up. They prayed for boldness and God gives them boldness. It's not like this boldness didn't just come from this. This boldness came from the power of His Holy Spirit in them. Like it was his spirit that, that emboldened them. It's the same spirit that we have with us today. And it's out of this boldness and the movement of the Holy Spirit, this community of believers like doubles down on everything that we read before. I mean, there's this unbelievable unity. I mean, did you pick that up? Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, like everybody was like moving in the same direction. And like I said, they were unbelievably focused on the gospel of Jesus, like his resurrection and what that meant, the implications of that, the hope that that brought. And did you pick up the generosity of this group? It's like, it just wasn't like lip service to them. I mean, it says as many, of, as many of them as had land or houses, they sold them. Like everybody who owned land, like before they were like sharing their possessions and they were selling some of their possessions. Now what they do is they just basically sell their property. Like for many of them, this was like their birthrights. I mean, this is radical. And this is what the Spirit does in our lives. And quite frankly, when I read this, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, how can opposition bring this kind of response? And and really, I think the conclusion is there's really only one answer. It's this community of believers was completely led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hear me in this this morning, and this is so important. Because I know many of you guys come from a background, from my, again, from conversations I had. Many of you guys come from backgrounds where, you know, this Jesus thing has been guilted to you or manipulated or you, it's been forced on you. And, and let me just say this. The, the gospel message is powerful enough. If someone has to guilt you into it or manipulate you into it or, or somehow like force you into it, then it's not the gospel message. And this message this morning is not some kind of like try harder message. But you just need to try harder. Please don't go away this morning thinking that fact. And in fact, really, the message that I think that we hear this morning is quite the opposite. And what we learned from these, these, these early followers is simply this we cannot get through life alone. We need God and we need one another. And our response to hardships or, or opposition or barriers or threats is not turning, turning, turning into ourselves and our own strength and, and just becoming more determined. It, it's, just, it's about surrender and trust in the one who loves you most. It, it's a message of letting go and trusting God, depending on Him in the middle of the most difficult times in our life. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean. Life gets easier. It means that you have his peace and his strength, even in the midst of the difficulties, because God is with you, and he is in you. And so what does this look like practically this morning? In order to have trust in him, you have to spend time with him. Just like any relationship is, is built upon, anything that's built on trust has to take time. Spending time with him. And when you read his word, it's like you're not reading just to study about him. You're reading to know him. Like, to know him more. And it's creating space in our, just to be able to listen to him. And to be able to know that we can talk to him at any time. We can take anything to him. He hears us and he is with us. And then it's just following what he tells us to do. I mean, that's, what it is, and, and then being a part of a, a community of believers, like regularly, and consistently. We need one another, and more importantly, we need God. We're going we're gonna to conclude this this morning by really celebrating this thing that Jesus did for us. We call it communion, and it's something that he asked us to do each and every time that we gather together as a as a faith community, is that we would remember this amazing sacrifice that He did for us on the cross. And we do that this morning, really, with with two kind of symbols that are in these trays on these tables. Uh, and they're in two cups that are stacked together. One is a piece of bread that reminds us of His body that was broken for us on the cross. And on the top of the, then the top cup is a cup of juice that just reminds us of His blood that was shed for us. And as you sit this morning and as you reflect on this amazing sacrifice and the fact that he's done it all for us. We just do this with just this amazing heart of gratitude for what he's done. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. You are amazing. And Father, this morning I just thank you so much for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.